0: Hello, listeners. It's Jeff Cross, your host of Friends with Employee Benefits. We recently had a webinar on what employers should be focusing on next, as it relates to the Connecticut Paid Family Leave Act, and uh, the most popular questions coming in are around the interaction of paid leave with other with other leave benefits. So. Uh, And there's other questions as well. So we figured we'd do something a little different today. Uh, I've got a handful of questions from employers across the state, and I've I've invited back uh, to the podcast, Jeff Wasco and Rich Lombard, both from The Guardian, and they're going to tackle these questions for us. So uh, Jeff and Rich, thanks for coming back on. I'm really happy uh, that we're able to do this again.
1: Thanks for having us.
0: Happy to be here. Um, So before we get into the interaction with different leave benefits, I I guess we should reiterate, but by now, every employer who has at least one employee in Connecticut should be registered with the uh, Connecticut Paid Leave Authority and should be uh, deducting half a percent of of base pay from everybody's paycheck in Connecticut, right? So, um, and I'm just curious, like, do you have any insight as to how did, how did the leave how did the state come up with that half a point? What's the what's the math there and what are what are the actuaries over the guardian and elsewhere saying about this?
1: Yes, that's a great question, Jeff, and I think it's the first point to make is it's a monumental task building out these types of programs, right? Especially for an entity such as a state that just doesn't have the The process is built out, the claim systems and the integrations. You know, as a private carrier, we're fortunate that we have, you know, 100 plus years of managing risk and substantial uh, claim payment uh, capabilities into the PFML space that help us better figure out items like your question of how how the rate's determined. And so the rate originally was, this is pre-pandemic, was part of the bill. So in terms of how the law was made, it's actually in the bill, which is an important part to uh, to understand is that in order to change the rate, probably going to need an active legislature to change the rate as well. So if the rate were to need to change over time, what did happen was there was an independent study that was done for to determine if the rate at 0.50 was the, the correct rate was it the solvent rate. Uh, it's not clear whether or not there was any actuarial science put behind that uh, analysis. We, we don't know. Uh, what we would typically see is a you know a detailed actuarial analysis performed around that rate. Uh, you know when we model it out, and I'm assuming most of our competitors, you see different rates for different types of groups. Uh, and in terms of actual rating, what we've seen over, time and, and you can use New York state as a proxy. They've had a PFML law uh, since 2018 and obviously close geographically to Connecticut. Uh, the benefits a little different uh, in full disclosure. So not exactly the same, but the rate in New York has gone up f- about 400% in four years. So it was initially 400 percent correct. That's a four zero zero.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: so it, it's it, what often we we've seen. And, and yeah, that's you know one example but there's not that many because states are just starting to pass these laws and benefits is that the the plans end up being uh, unfortunately could be underpriced uh, when when they're set by the by the state in that case we don't know what's going to happen in connecticut
0: um,
1: but that's how the rate was determined
0: yeah so, so there's some concern out there that the experience they had in new york and other states might might end up coming into into play here in Connecticut where the rich, I, I thought the legislation said that it can't change the rates, but they could change the benefit. Like if, so if you have a solvency issue, they're gonna go after potentially the benefit, not the rate.
1: Correct, so the law, you can change the benefit. If the rate needed to change it, the law would literally have to pass a rate, uh, would have to change to change the rate. So you would effectively have legislature passing a tax increase on uh, the state of the Connecticut. In lieu of doing that, you could reduce the benefit, which is just another way of re- changing the rate. <laughs> just watering down the benefit uh, is, is allowed. It's just which way do you prefer to do it? Mm-hmm. So there is some flexibility there over time to ensure solvency of the of the benefit.
0: Yeah, yeah. So Jeff, you had you had mentioned the challenges of a bill like this for uh, for a government, a state government. Uh, sort of getting into a game that they've never previously been in. What about like, what about administrative challenges? I mean, is that a concern as well?
1: Yeah, I mean, what we end up finding when we roll out uh, private plans, and most of the time, you know, there's state plans that are offered as well. You can buy directly from the state is there's just a lot of confusion in the marketplace in general, right? It's a new program uh, that needs a lot of communication and education, to help employers make the best decision for their employees right and every one of those decisions is different and you know so they have to take a lot of time to educate themselves what in connecticut what's made it particularly challenging is you know the pandemic uh, a lot of businesses are focused on oh, a yeah, lot that. Of other, yeah, yeah why right well, why would that be they're <laughs> focused on a lot of other things other than you know making sure that they're compliant with connecticut pfml and so what we found in Connecticut specifically is that in the data out there, that has been published is, you know, in a lot of media sources is, you know, it's probably about up to half of the groups in Connecticut have registered on the Connecticut website. It's not quite there yet, but they only have another, you know, 21 days or so to uh, to do that. So most of the many of the Connecticut employers have not yet gone on and registered on the state website, which they all are required to do so. That's kind of the one piece. The other piece that we find is that once the plans are implemented is the claim adjudication process. So it's a very new, new experience for anyone that's filing a PFML claim for the, same, for the first time. So we've seen this happen in New York state, we've seen it happen in Washington state, we've seen it happen in Massachusetts now because that program is live. And what ends up happening is, is you, you folks want to get their payment as quickly as possible, right? But when these plans are initially implemented, a lot of our competitors, uh, they struggle with getting quick claim payments out. So, for example, the states that have implemented these programs, there's a range, I'd say, of about 20 to 40 days for the average claim turnaround time. Some of the states, they struggle initially getting the claim payment out. Whereas we, uh, and some of our competitors, I'm sure, too, have an average current claim turnaround time of about five days. Yeah. So it's much quicker because we've already had these systems built in place and the expertise to adjudicate the claims and integrate with other parts of their absence management programs.
0: So, which is, I guess, one of the big reasons why an employer would be thinking about a private plan because they might want their employees to have a better, easier experience should they have to submit a claim, And, 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 right? So they might want that expertise on the administrative side. Now, if, if an employer gets a quote for a private plan, and it's more than that half a point of payroll. Does that automatically rule out the private plan? Is is that it? The employer should say, all right, forget it. You know, I, I don't really want to have to pitch in anything on this. So, uh, I guess we have to go with the state plan. Yeah,
2: Jeff, I can I can jump in and start talking a little bit about that because, you know, there's there's a lot that needs to be considered when you think about the financial aspect of going private and, you know, it's easy to just look at a comparison and say, okay, is it over a half a percent? Because if it is, then, you know, it's a non-starter. And that's really not the case because you have to consider, first of all, the fact that, you know, the the authority has been clear and the regulations are clear that you've got the ability to to fund your program, uh, whether it's fully insured or self-funded with employee contributions. So you've got to consider the fact that you can still collect that money from your employees to fund the program. Um, as well as what are your what are your costs right now, right, for your short-term medical leave programs, whether it's short-term disability, uh, you know, a, a flexible PTO program, uh, vacation time, sick time, right? Like, what are you paying employees right now? What are those liabilities? Because those are about to be cut significantly next year. So when you look at it really from an, an overall budget standpoint, which is really how you need to look at it, you know, you could be looking at some savings as an employer coming into next year. So if you value the idea of going private, uh, you know, you, you need to take those into consideration and, you know, maybe you, you, you pull some of those savings in as the employer uh, and, and contribute some of that if, if your cost is or your rate is over that half a percent. Uh, so you, you got to look at all sources of, of funding as well as, you know, all the liabilities you have right now and what's the impact to those
0: going into next year. I want to make sure that we all heard you clearly, Rich, because this is really important, which is I think what you're saying, even if you apply for and are approved for a private plan, you can continue throughout the rest of this year, throughout the rest of 2021, you can continue taking that half point contribution from employees and use that to pay 2022 private plan premiums. Correct. So, you know, we could speak for Guardian,
2: I would say, for, for most, if not all carriers, right, the, the premiums don't start until the benefits go live, which is next year. So, uh, but to answer your first question, yeah, you, you've got the ability, uh, if you decide to go private, whether that is on a fully insured basis or a self-funded basis, to, to, to fund that program through employee contributions. And that can be up to that half a percent uh, through this year and into next and for, you know, going forward. Um, so you, know, you could choose to, to deduct less than that half a percent. You could just choose to, you know, have your employees contribute nothing. Uh, but they have been clear that, you know, if you do decide to go private, you do have the ability to, you know, essentially pre-fund your own program through that employee contribution. Yeah.
0: Well, let's, so let's talk about this now because we're getting into some of the questions that a lot of our clients and, and other employers have around this, I'll call it coordination between Connecticut paid family leave and other, uh, other leave benefits and programs. So FMLA, federal FMLA, uh, uh, the short-term and long-term disability policies, maternity leave, et cetera. You know, what, what do employers need to think about? You already sort of alluded to it, Rich, in that, that the, the liability from those plans, some of it anyway, is being shifted to Connecticut paid family leave. So, we need to think about re-coordinating or, or adjusting all of those benefits uh, so that we have a holistic approach to this, don't we? Yeah, no. N- now's the time to
2: start those conversations, for sure. I mean, we're nine months away from these benefits uh, starting to get paid. So now's the time to start those conversations. and you know. The, these state mandated benefits tend to be sort of the catalyst for these, you know, these conversations, right? Maybe you've had some programs in place for a long time. Um, and it's it's kind of a good opportunity to sort of lift up the hood and take a look and make sure that it still fits for your members, still fits for your own budget. Um, you know, I, I can tell you in Massachusetts that we just went through last year, we had a lot of conversations with a lot of clients who, um, you know, were currently self-administering in-house programs that really took this mass pfl as an opportunity to revamp the program altogether um and i think we're going to see the same thing in connecticut because these state these state benefits kind of tend to be the foundation right of what your programs are going to look like going forward because most of the time they're going to be the primary payer um and you're going to have you're going to want to make sure that all of your other programs line up accordingly um so if you're doing a traditional short-term disability program right is your duration lined up with what the connecticut duration is going to be right and if not is yeah. that okay and and are you going to address those gaps and you know so,
0: so let's let's unpack that a little. Sure. so um so you can have you can keep uh, an employer paid short term disability policy in play let's say it aligns with the 12 week uh well wait what's the uh, what's the refresher memory weeks. what's the 12 weeks yeah <laughs> thank it. you you had it <laughs> so let's say let's say it's it's confusing even to well i get easily so but, uh, anyway, uh, so you can, let's say, okay, you've got a short-term disability policy, it's 12 weeks, but, but it's a $1,500 weekly max, okay? So the way it works, right, correct me, Rich, is the state's gonna pay up to the state benefit max for that 12 weeks. The state's gonna pay primary, and then if you keep that private plan in place, that's gonna just make up the difference between the 1500 and the state benefit max. Right, these
2: these state mandated benefits are traditionally, and Connecticut seems like it's gonna be in line with this, are traditionally the primary payer, right? So your short-term disability benefit would be offset or reduced by whatever you're getting under the, the Connecticut program. So, you know, and the point you're yeah. getting at is, is really there, there can be and there will be income replacement gaps because the program is designed to, uh, the Connecticut program is, and most state mandated programs are designed to have sort of a tiered income replacement right? And, it, and it, it goes down as your income goes up. So in Connecticut, it's starting at a very high percentage, right? 95% of your income is replaced in the very beginning. But that tails off. And by the time you're looking at someone who's making sixty dollars or $70,000 a year, you sort of hit that 60% threshold is what we're pretty comfortable with as a short-term disability industry. That's kind of pretty standard. Once you get beyond that, it, it very quickly dips into the 50 40 30 percent income replacement level whereas if this person was under a traditional short-term disability pr- program they they'd be accustomed to getting 60 percent income replacement right so there's yeah. there's definitely a need to evaluate that and make sure you don't just say okay well you know we've got Connecticut PFL now let's just do away with short-term disability you know hold on before you before you do that look at your population and take a look and see if there's folks who are earning over that amount and, and how this is going to impact them because it could be a pretty significant
0: dip Either way, STD premiums should go down.
2: Yeah, so a- absolutely. I mean, for, from a short-term disability standpoint, uh, carriers recognize that our liabilities, you know, we talked about the employer's liabilities. As a carrier, if we're ensuring that risk and we know that the first portion of it is going to be picked up by, you know, the state program, whether it's through the state or through a private carrier, we know that it's not on the short-term disability plans hook anymore. So um, those, will, those will absolutely be reduced. So, you know, like I said, before you make any, you know, decisions to just do away with it, you certainly need to consider what those new costs are going to be. Uh, the second, you know, out, outside of the income replacement gap, the second gap is what we I, I call the durational gap, which is, you know, in Connecticut and in, in most of these state programs, they are on an entitlement basis instead of a per occurrence basis, which means once you use that time in a given year or a given benefit year, you don't get it back. So, for example, if you, if you went out and maybe you went out for the birth of a child and you used you know, 12 weeks of bonding leave or something like that, um, all of a sudden, for the next three quarters of the year, you don't have that benefit anymore. So in the absence of short-term disability, in the instance you need to go out on a short-term disability, you don't have it. So, you know, even if you don't necessarily have the income replacement gap we talked about, that durational gap is certainly going to be there. Um, so if you try to design a program and say, listen, we're just going to have, you know, long term disability kick in after three months, um, you know, and after the Connecticut PFL runs out, you know, be careful because you could have people who use up their time on the Connecticut side, or the Connecticut PFL side, and then come, you know, come claim in the second half of the year, they don't have the benefits. So it's, it's worth
0: considering. That's important. It's important to remember that the state benefit is, is, a, is an annual, you get 12 weeks, right. not per incident, right? So that's what you're saying. And that's really important to remember. Um, and, how, and how does it coordinate with, with federal family leave? Can someone go out for 12 weeks, get a paid leave benefit from the Connecticut leave plan, and then take another unpaid 12 weeks uh, due to the federal FMLA? How, how does that coordinate, if at all?
2: Yeah, I'll say that there are still some open questions uh, because we don't have, we don't really even have the final um, you know, regulation yet. Uh, we're still waiting for some outstanding answers, uh, which is totally common. I mean, we did this in Massachusetts. We didn't get some answers to questions until literally the months before the effective date. So this is not uncommon at all. Um, I would say, speaking traditionally, these programs are are meant to run concurrently. Um, There's definitely some questions because Connecticut's a little bit unique in that they've got the paid portion of it, and then they've got the job protected portion of it. And theoretically, they're, they're, they're separate. So you could have instances where it's job protected and not paid, vice versa. And so I hesitate to give you a definitive answer in Connecticut, but I can tell you if it goes the way most states go, the idea is that these would all run concurrently meaning you couldn't stack them so you couldn't take 12 weeks of fmla and then 12 weeks or whatever of you know an additional uh leave through connecticut the idea is that they would all run at the same time and that's what we've seen in most states
0: yeah so connecticut paid family leave essentially just replaces the federal unpaid family leave is that what 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 you're saying well, the, the, they, would run, they would run together because
2: in, yeah. you, know, you could have instances where someone may or may not be eligible for the federal leave, right? If, you've, if you're not an FMLA eligible employer, those, 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 those okay. people wouldn't be FMLA eligible, right? But in the instance that they were eligible for all of those benefits, FMLA, Connecticut paid family leave, as well as the Connecticut FMLA, the idea would be that they would run concurrently. But once again, I I'd, I'd marked it under TBD at this time because I know that there's still some outstanding questions around that
0: got it because you had you had mentioned earlier outsourcing leave management uh, in, entirely and so if if a group uh, if a group does not take a private plan if those say okay that's it we're just gonna go with the state plan for, for Connecticut paid family leave but they're outsourcing their leave management is that vendor likely to to track the Connecticut paid family leave even though they're not it's not a private plan or or how how is that going to work do you know
2: yeah i would say and we can only really speak for guardian every carrier may have a different stance on this but i would say most of the time a carrier is really not going to track a leave that they don't administer only because it would be difficult for us to know whether applications were, were put in on time right there's still that that whole process that would be going directly through the state. We're not yeah. going to know what's going on right if if, if, if they're not providing the uh, the appropriate information to get the claim adjudicated on time. Right, how are we going to know that that's really between the member, you know, the employer and the state and, and without you know going directly to the state to get that information we're not going to have it so. We, we wouldn't we would wouldn't look to track uh, a leave like that only because we wouldn't have the information to really adjudicate it appropriately, and we could potentially you know mislead someone to believe that there's entitlements that are being used that may not be being used yet.
0: Yeah, so there's not going to be, you know, there's no core, we're talking about this all in the context of coordination of benefits and, and management of these programs. There's no coordination between a, a, a private plan or a private leave management vendor and the state and the state program.
2: Yeah. I mean, if it was a short term disability program, you know, we're certainly going to still offset for that benefit in the instance that they're getting, you know, a benefit through the state. But if you're talking about purely just outsourcing leave management, FMLA, we're tracking all those entitlements. Um, If they're using the state program, we really don't have the information that we need to appropriately track that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, It'd be interesting. Did you guys hear anything about what employers are doing with their PTO? I mean, do you have to think about your PTO, uh, your, your employee handbook and and how much PTO allotment that you give folks in the context of this new state mandate?
2: Yeah, it's, it's a huge, I mean, going back to what I was saying earlier, it was a huge part of the conversation we just went through in Massachusetts. Um, and we're, we're sort of about to go through in Connecticut. It's, um, you know, if you've got those PTO programs, if you've got a salary continuance program that you've used for a long time, I put this in the bucket of it's time to sort of take a peek and make sure that it's still going to work appropriately. And it may, you know, it may, but you need to make sure that you do to your point, update your handbook to, you know, allow for this new program and, you know, appropriately communicate the process for your employees, uh, because that's where it does get a little bit difficult as far as coordinating those benefits, who's paying what and when uh, yeah. and how. So no, it's absolutely a, a huge point of discussion, and uh, like I said, we we just went through it in mass, so we're very well versed on it and and well prepared to to handle it here in Connecticut as well.
0: What, what else is on your mind, guys? What else are you kind of you know running into as you begin uh, quoting? Um, I guess you're not yet implementing, but you know as you get more and more information around uh, the Connecticut uh, paid family leave and and uh, what are we not thinking about that, that you need to tell us about?
1: Yeah, I'd say that one item we haven't touched upon on is the requirement of a vote. Mm-hmm. So in Connecticut, it's very unique. So most states, really no states require a vote to opt out of the state program for PFML. Connecticut very unique in that it does require a vote of Connecticut-based employees. So if you have 30,000 employees, and there's only 1,000 in Connecticut, only the 1,000 in Connecticut vote. And you have to have 50% plus one uh, in, of the employees in, in Connecticut, working in Connecticut, opt out of the state plan. It has to be anonymous. The vote has, is required to be anonymous. So There's a lot of, I think, trepidation from employers and some confusion on how that works. The fact of the matter is the authority who governs the PFML program has set some very clear guidelines uh, that makes it pretty easy to host the vote. So, you know, we find clients are using either their own benefit administration portal, uh, SurveyMonkey, Microsoft Forms, as long as it's anonymous, and it has to be two weeks, uh, two week lead time so that the employees have time to be educated, uh, then then you can, uh, you know, properly adjudicate the vote. Yeah, you can't
0: you can't get everybody in a room and, and take a yay or nay uh, raise your hand so that's not there's allowed.
1: no arm twisting so <laughs> there's no, no arm twisting allowed so that's a wrinkle in Connecticut that's unique that employers should be aware of uh, shouldn't be intimidated by but they should be aware of it
0: now there are materials I was actually having this uh, sort of conversation uh, I'll call it a conversation not a debate with a colleague here yes uh, a couple days ago and um, and So there's material that you have to give to employees in advance of the vote, right? Correct. Do do the employees have to have that material for two weeks before the vote is taken or or once you've given that material, you've got to give them two weeks to vote? What's the timing of it? Refresh my memory.
1: So it's called a plain language document to get really uh, insurance speak on you. And basically what it does is it provides a summary of what Connecticut PFML benefits provide, right? And And the goal is a good one in that it wants to educate employees on what the benefit even is, right? It's a new benefit, educate them on what it is so they can make a educated decision when they do go to vote. To answer your question, it is a two week lead time from when they Actually, are emailed and this, which is what most of the time is happening because of the, the pandemic, email the plain language document. So if you send it out today, it's 14 days later. You could host a, an anonymous vote.
0: So you can't start the voting process until people have had those documents for two weeks. Co- correct. Because so you, the the clause you've got to wait two. You're going to give them the material. You wait two weeks. You have the vote. Then you and then now you have a private plan quote then you you apply to the to the uh, to the authority so i think a lot of employers are probably sitting here right now it is what march 10th and saying geez i need to have i need to have a private plan approved by the end of the month in order to not have to pay that q1 pr- premium i'll call it to the state uh, they might be thinking i'm out of time how do i like how do i do that i gotta like is there time? How long is it taking the state to approve uh, an application?
1: Yeah, so the state's been uh, pretty quick on approvals. The They really have communicated that they want to have the applications in by 315. So that date is very quickly approaching.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: so that's their that's what they've uh, publicly stated. And so for, for a waiver to be approved by 331, to as your point, they don't have to pay, an employer wouldn't have to pay the premium into the state pool mm-hmm. so there's a huge advantage to act on this now so that you save you know a quarter's worth of premium if an employer were to miss that premium they they do have the ability next quarter to go through the process and wave out they just we don't anticipate they're going to be getting money back from from the state we didn't see that in other states so once it goes into the uh the state's coffers if you will it's probably not coming out
0: <laughs>
1: uh, <laughs> yeah. so. So there is there is a call to act now. It's really important if, uh, if if employers are trying to get into a private plan for before the the three thirty one or by the three thirty one deadline, they really do need to take action uh, as
0: soon as possible. Immediately, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So so now it's very fluid. I mean, it's possible that the state could say, "Hey, you know, as long as you get your application in by the end of the like things could change, but we can't count on." You're saying so. There's no no more time to waste. You're going to jump on this right now.
1: Exactly. We don't know. Uh, that it's been communicated that there's not going to be any changes in the, the deadlines that we anticipate. Things mm-hmm. could certainly change. Yeah. Uh, outside of our control. Uh, but as we know it today, you know the authority really uh, is requiring that the applications are in by three fifteen in order to be considered uh, for an approved private plan. By 331. So you wouldn't have to remit premiums to the state for Q1 2021.
0: Got it. All right. Anything else we missed? No,
1: I think it's it, just to sum it up for you, Jeff. It's you know, employers have to just make a decision quickly on do they want to have a, a state, the state-run program, or do they want to have an integrated program with potentially short-term disability, FMLA. In your new Connecticut PFML all under one roof with uh, with experts in the industry that can really help them through all these complexities. It's really complex. There's a lot of moving parts and ultimately their employees are going to be using these benefits and you want them to have a really good customer experience uh, where, where they have one phone call and, and a true integrated coordinated process. That uh, is what they really would, would we find customers prefer.
2: And I'll, I'll add to that, Jeff. I mean, and this is what I talked a lot about, but regardless of where you decide to go, whether it's, you know, you hit the deadline for private or you just decide to go to the state, you know, now's the time to start having the conversations about what to do with the rest of your programs. And the fact that they're accepting applications on a rolling basis right if you're having these conversations in may and you you know decide to make some plan changes and maybe you decide at that point administratively it does make sense to go private you know that door is still open for you and you know it could still it could still make financial sense uh and it's worth having a more in-depth conversation about what all those costs are uh before you you know you just make a sort of knee-jerk decision
0: Good point. We don't, you know, yes, for, for it to be exempt from paying Q1 premiums, you have to have approval by the end of the quarter, but that doesn't mean you can't then, you know, in Q2, if you miss that deadline, you can you can look at doing it in Q2, and you still got three quarters of 2021 that, that you know, um, to work with here. Absolutely. So, um All right, you guys know the drill, which is that we always end our podcast with some rapid fire questions, and uh, lucky for you, we have new questions this season, so I'm going to put you both on the hot seat. Each question, Jeff, you answer first, then Rich, you can follow. Great. Sound good? Perfect. All right, would you rather do laundry or the dishes? Dishes. I do laundry. I
2: can sit in front of the TV and
0: do laundry. Uh, well, Jeff's got a TV right over his kitchen oh, sink. there you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Speaking of TV, <laughs> what is a, what's the favorite TV show that you're currently binging?
1: Ooh, we really love Secession.
2: It's not a new one, but I just jumped into Better Call Saul, and I'm, I'm enjoying it. Yeah, good one. Uh,
0: if you won the lottery tomorrow or today, what's the first thing you did?
1: Well, besides taking you out to dinner, Jeff, <laughs>
0: i've got a lot of gifts coming to me by the way
1: (laughs) yeah i would uh find some charity make make a nice donation
0: awesome yeah i i'd I'd echo the
2: charity and then i'd find a cool place up in the middle of nowhere and buy a big plot of land and big build a big house great
0: lastly our theme this year at one digital is rise um, we all went through and we're still going through a lot um, since the beginning of 2020. It's been uh, now a, a, a year of this, um, of this pandemic. So uh, how are you guys going to rise in 2021? Jeff?
1: I think it's continuing to lead our team and, and I'm just so proud of them that the, uh, how it agile and how much they've adapted and, you know, trying to show that leadership back to them.
2: Yeah, and I'd say, you know, we we've, uh, we've got a great uh, you know, great client base here in Connecticut, a growing client base here in Connecticut, and uh, you know, we're looked at as a leader, specifically in this paid family leave space. So, you know, we need to make sure that we sort of rise to the occasion here and and, and provide them with the the services and the consultation that they expect. And um, you know, I'm confident we're going to do so.
0: Great, thank you, Rich and Jeff, for joining us today. Uh, Everyone, if you're still itching for some more information relative to this topic, connecticut pay family leave and how to best handle ab- absence management in general, um, t- tune into the webinar I mentioned in the opening here. Um, and, and that will help you tackle the questions that um, many employers have on their minds right now and maybe you as well. How to best handle leave management amidst the ever-changing leave laws. That's the webinar, you can find it uh, on demand, the on demand version on the One Digital website, or via the link in the description of this podcast episode. As always, thank you all for tuning in. This has been yet another episode of Friends with Employee Back.